In the spring of 2017, RCVS Knowledge was pleased to participate in the King's College London MA History Internship Programme. Abby Latham, studying for an MA in 19th century studies, transcribed the Boer War correspondence of Major General Sir Frederick Smith held in our archives. She also recorded the following podcast essay, drawing on her research. Living Pictures by Abby Latham As a master's student studying 19th century studies at King's College London, I have been very fortunate to be granted the opportunity to intern with RCVS Knowledge, with my placement beginning in February of this year. During my time as an intern, I have undertaken the research project of transcribing a selection of Major General Sir Frederick Smith's correspondence. The particular collection I have focused on are Smith's letters to his wife Mary Ann, which were penned during his earlier service in the Second Anglo-Boer War between the years of 1899 to 1900. Lorna, the archivist at RCVS Knowledge, has overseen my internship, and alongside my transcriptions she has asked me to discuss, via this podcast, the aspects that captivated me most when reading Smith's letters, particularly from my viewpoint as a student of 19th century history and literature. After recovering from the initial shock of deciphering Smith's handwriting, a practice I got more used to over time, I set about transcribing and was immediately impressed by the wealth of historical value that these letters possess. The multifaceted nature of the letters is a great strength of Smith's correspondence, and arguably this makes them a fantastic primary source for a range of historians. However, I believe that these letters are particularly suited to scholars whose work is invested in the military and social history of the Second Anglo-Boer War. A range of research projects could be formed surrounding the letters. However, in this podcast, I would like to focus on three themes which I felt arose to the forefront when reading the letters, and these are Smith's interest in correspondence, recordation and representation. From Smith's first letter, I was instantly struck by the thoroughness of his account, right down to the scrupulous listing of the contents of his kit bag. I was somewhat surprised by details like this, in regards to the notion that these letters formed his private and personal correspondence to his wife. However, in discussion with Lorna and through engaging with secondary literature, it soon became clear that the purpose of these letters extended further than Smith just maintaining contact with Mary Ann. The period covered by the letters forms the years before Smith began his official war diary, and thus this may explain the level of detail employed by Smith throughout the correspondence. In his book, which transcribes Smith's autobiography and provides a corresponding commentary, Bruce Vivas Jones divides Smith into three characters, the military soldier, the veterinary professional and the historian. Vivas Jones claims that Smith's historical studies have become his main legacy, which have been preserved through his archive and printed publications. He furthers this claim by suggesting that Smith must have been aware that he was creating an archive, evidence through the way in which he saved papers, letters and artefacts. This notion of intentionality is further reinforced by the annotation of keep that is inscribed on the header of several of the letters, which may have been added by Smith at the time of writing, or perhaps was inscribed later once Smith had returned to England and reread the correspondence. By inscribing Keep on the letters, Smith obviously deemed them to be informative and vital to his account of his service in the Second Anglo-Boer War. Here, Smith bestows historical value upon his correspondence, and this is further emphasised in his words themselves. For example, in Letter 2, Smith explicitly denotes his intentions, when he states, I have placed on record for our own perusal in the future a very important record in my life and that of the history of the country. 
However, for me, reading the letters in the present day, the detail within each letter seems to extend the purpose of Smith's account from just a record for the perusal of himself and his family, as he claims in this early letter. This notion of Smith's purpose for recording his experience extending or shifting is reflected in the later publication of his book, A Veterinary History of the War in South Africa. And thus, one might assume that these letters, alongside his official war diary, provided the foundation for this published text. The letters to Mary Ann do not convey a monotonous record of events, rather at times Smith has a literary prose. This, combined with the first-hand narrative and military subject matter, bestows Smith's letters with a style similar to that of a war correspondent. Interestingly, war correspondents are a regular feature in the letters, and their occupation and character appears to have intrigued and appealed to Smith. And I might even go as far as to suggest that perhaps war correspondents may have influenced Smith's own writing. In the July 1900 edition of Harper's Monthly magazine, an article discusses the role of the English war correspondent in South Africa during the Boer War. The journalist Fred A. Mackenzie describes the occupation of a war correspondent as full of excitement, uncertainty and romance as the most greedy adventure seeker could ever desire. Mackenzie continues to describe how, when the work of the soldier is done, that of the correspondent is just beginning for he has to write his description of the battle and walk and ride perhaps 25 miles or more to get it on the wire. I found this representation of the war correspondent very reminiscent of Smith, who frequently tells his wife that after a day of action and fighting, he is now settling down to write his own version of events, and like the war correspondent portrayed by Mackenzie, Smith regularly reminds Marianne of how he strives to post his news without delay in order to keep her up to date. Many of the correspondents described in the Harper's article feature in Smith's letters, including Bennett Burley, Melton Pryor and the young Winston Churchill. Frederick Smith met Churchill several times throughout the campaign, as indicated in the letters, and after researching Churchill's own South African correspondence, I believe one can see similarities between both men's linguistic descriptions that may further my suggestion that Smith's own writing style was influenced by war correspondence. Historian Jacqueline Beaumont has suggested that whilst war correspondents were repeatedly censored by the British Army, the letters of officers were not subject to censorship, unlike those of other ranks. If this is the case, one could suggest that Smith's letters to his wife, although they were self-censored by the author, presumably to omit aspects of his private or family life, may provide the reader today with a more candid account of the events of the war, albeit through one man's own experience. Within his letters, Smith mentions a multitude of technologies whose invention and dissemination we owe to the 19th century, such as the railway, the telegraph, the cablegram and illustrated newspapers. However, the technology that seems to have fascinated Smith the most was photography. Smith makes frequent references to photographs being taken throughout his letters and makes not-so-subtle hints to Marianne concerning his own desire to possess a handheld device. In letter 4, sent from Colenso, Smith tells Marianne, There is a man here with a camera for taking living pictures of the troops in the fighting. I spoke to him this morning and he told me they were taken for the Empire, where they will be exhibited. He instructs Marianne to try and see them. Scholar Valerie Parkhouse has suggested that like the Telegraph, photography was vital to the popular press and played an important part in bringing to popular attention aspects of the conflict. Smith's suggestion that the photographs will be exhibited to the Empire also aligns his words with the work of historians who have discussed how photo and illustrated journalism were exploited to generate a stronger sense of national identity and to construct collective memory. 
Photography had been used in both the Crimean and the American Civil War. However, as historian Kenneth O. Morgan has argued, in these wars prior to the Anglo-Boer War, photography was the job of the specialist professional or agencies. In comparison, due to new inventions, the use of cameras was revolutionised by their newfound portability, and by the end of the 19th century, mass production had opened up the market and encouraged amateur photography. Valerie Parkhouse has suggested that although it is not known how many soldiers possessed the interest or had the means to afford a camera, the number of soldiers with cameras must have been in the thousands, judging by the photographs available to us today in museum archives and old family albums. Smith's comrade Jarvis, who Smith often refers to as taking images of their experience together, exemplifies this notion. Two particularly insightful scenes conveyed by Smith describe Jarvis as taking photographs of native South African women who watched the men while they bathed in a stream, and the poignant moment when Jarvis takes a photograph of the burial place of a fellow soldier and friend. Unfortunately, without enough information regarding Jarvis's biography, I have not been able to find or identify these photographs taken in Smith's presence, and thus, like the redactions made in the letters, as the reader, I was again subjected to the tantalising nature of archival material. Many of the surviving images that emerge when researching Boer War photography are the static black-and-white photographs taken of the field. Historian Peter Harrington suggests that despite new technologies, photographic capabilities were still limited in capturing movement, and the climate of South Africa, with its dust and haze so vividly described by Smith in his letters, only compounded the situation. Consequently, professional photographs were not only edited before publication, but the composition itself was often staged prior to the action. Literary scholars David Barton and Nigel Hall have argued that letter-writing is anything but a static process, and suggest that as a carrier for text, letters can be used to mediate a range of human interactions. Like the living pictures taken and exhibited to the Empire, Smith's words, through his meticulous detail and descriptive imagery, encourage the reader to build living pictures in their own mind, providing a mediated experience of the events he witnessed. As a 21st century researcher, when looking at photographs of the Second Anglo-Boer War, I personally find them somewhat distant, and when removed from any narrative, difficult to comprehend. On the other hand, I believe that Smith's account, as delineated through his letters, bestows me with the ability to envision events, both the big and the small. The letters do not only provide an historical account of major events such as the Battle of Colenso, but also illuminate the lived experience of the soldiers, and Smith's descriptions often oppose the glorified imperial imagery circulating at the time. When reading Smith's letters, I was surprised by the somewhat humanising tone his writing has despite the wartime situation. Descriptions of soldiers playing football, singing popular tunes, telling jokes and gossiping appear on the same page as discussions of disease, desperation and death. In letter 13, Smith identifies this notion of duality and states that the mixture is inconspicuous. In a particularly animated passage, he describes a funeral procession being met by a wedding party and the shrill noise of children in schoolrooms contrasting with the ambulance wagons that roll past the windows and carry the mutilated remains of brave men straight from the field. Smith states that these extremes meet everywhere, but nowhere so marked as in war, and his declaration that one tries to see the funny and ridiculous side in everything, in spite of the war's ghastly wretchedness, was particularly poignant to me when reading. 
the imagery that Smith captures within this letter not only provides the reader with an alternative historical perspective, but for me, the dichotomous nature of the prose and Smith's acknowledgement of the complexity and multifaceted nature of events portrays Smith himself as an historian. Barton and Hall state that the writing of letters is embedded in particular social situations, and therefore letters gain their meaning and significance from being situated in cultural beliefs, values and practices. In a letter to Fred Bullock, Smith's peer and the secretary of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, Smith claims that he wrote his autobiography as it is better that they should have an authentic history than one written without first-hand knowledge. Although the notion of an authentic history is problematised and questioned within historical studies, from my research it appears that this was a cultural concern of the time, and this links all of the themes I have discussed within the podcast. War correspondence, photojournalism and Smith's letters all employed the immediacy of first-hand experience to provide a historical record of the events of the Second Anglo-Boer War. Bruce Vivas-Jones states that Smith's books and papers are a valuable resource for those wanting to gain an understanding of the background and progress of veterinary medicine and the veterinary profession. It was my objective that, although brief, this podcast would also convey how Smith's correspondence can be viewed and utilised using a historical framework, and I hope that I have portrayed what a valuable and unique historical source Smith's letters are. Accounts of Frederick Smith, including the memoir written by Fred Bullock, represent Smith as an intensely methodical man, a man who was devoted to his career both in the military and veterinary field. However, Smith is also portrayed as an intellectual, a historian who was heavily invested in the provision, recordation and accurate representation of material relating to his life and work. For me, the work being undertaken by RCVS knowledge is approached in a Frederick Smith manner that both follows and conserves his footsteps for the benefit of researchers today, and therefore maintains his legacy in a way I'm sure he would have admired. Thank you for listening. To read Abby's transcripts of the Smith Bulwar letters and access a wealth of other historical veterinary material online, please visit www vhdigital.org